You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Riley Hall. I'm Ryan Hall. And this is the Earn and Invest podcast. They have been called cuspers, zillennials, zennials, or even the Snapchat generation. They are the micro generation of individuals born on the cusp of the millennial and Generation Z demographic cohorts, those born between 1992 and 1998. They would have been babies or children at the time of the September 11th terrorist attacks, making them the first to experience adolescence in a post 9-11 world. Their outlook on life was further shaped by the Great Recession of 2008 and the COVID-19 pandemic. Additionally, this cohort witnessed the digital transition of the 2000s, from dial-up internet to high-speed mobile, from corded home phones to cell phones, and from home computers to mobile devices. The Zillennials are unlike any other generation that has come before or after them. Today, we discuss how they money. Ryan and Riley Hall are a young married couple that I met at last year's Chautauqua conference. Over the week I spent with them, I was continuously impressed with their ethos regarding money and life. They are in their late 20s and very much a part of the fringe between Generation Z and Millennials. Ryan and Riley, welcome to Earn and Invest. Ryan, tell me, do you identify more with the Millennial generation or the Gen Z generation and why? Jordan, I identify more with the millennial generation than Gen Z. I think because of being involved in technology and being interested in computers at a young age, uh, I played around and built computers when I was young, like eighth grade. I was programming video game bots to play while I was at school. And I went through, I think, more of the technological advancements as they happen than maybe Gen Z would that grew up with iPads in their hands. Um, So I think that I identify more with the millennials than I do Gen Z. Riley, millennial or Gen Z? What is closer to your heart? It's tough. It depends on which aspect of life you're talking about, because with technology, I would say maybe more of a Gen Z, uh, just because growing up, I had a lot of siblings, so we had a lot of different gaming apparatuses. We had Game Boys and Nintendos. We kind of went through the progression of technology in that sense, kind of playing that. Humor is kind of the same, at least for me, related to what I've seen of Gen Z. Millennial, too, you know, don't get me wrong. I definitely went through that whole, like, in high school, the mustaches on your finger and the weird quirky shirts. Um, So... I don't know that I can strictly pick one or the other. I think I'm a little bit of both, depending on what we're talking about. Millennial, I think just going through school and kind of being the guinea pig for my family because I was the first of my dad's kids to go to college. I think that kind of made me grow up a little bit quicker along with other life circumstances. But that kind of grounded me a little bit more in the millennial space for that. Ryan, we're going to talk in a little bit about how Zillennials specifically money as a group But I want to talk about your childhood. Discuss with us the modeling that you grew up with. What kind of modeling did your parents pass on to you when it came to money? I grew up in a more traditional Midwestern family where my dad went to work every day, a lot of times six days a week, usually 10-hour days. uh, And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. 
So we were never by any means uh, super well off. We didn't go on a lot of vacations. We didn't have a lot of disposable income. So in our family, we didn't talk about money a lot. I I knew that we had enough to have clothes on our back and food at dinner time, and to go on the occasional road trip with the family once every few years. I was able to play all the sports I wanted to. I was able to, yeah, try any hobby I wanted to within reason. But we didn't talk about money. My dad grew up in a more rural community. His dad died when he was very young, and he grew up very poor. Projects, single mom with five siblings. And so money was very taboo in my house, even between my parents, from what I understand. But I was young, so I can't really corroborate that. But it sounds like there wasn't a lot of overt discussion about money. So I found Dave Ramsey myself uh, when I graduated college and realized how much debt I was in and introduced it to my parents. So I probably got my hands around money and finances before my parents did. So the, the modeling was what I think is normal, but I don't know. Yeah, we didn't talk about money at all. Riley, while Ryan talks about not discussing money at all, it sounds like money was much more traumatic in your upbringing. Talk about some of that trauma that you experienced. Yeah, so it's funny because I didn't really think that the way I grew up was traumatic, at least while it was happening. It took me reaching my later 20s to kind of acknowledge like, Oh, yeah, it wasn't just like, oh, I grew up different than other people. It's like, oh, no, that was hard. That was really difficult. And I didn't really process it. And I'm sure I haven't processed everything. But, you know, growing up, like I mentioned before, we had a lot of different like gaming devices. We had a bunch of toys. We literally had a room called the toy room. Um, So we had everything that we really wanted. I mean, there were a few years where it's like Christmas is a little lighter or we didn't do as much. But we never left the country or anything like that. We still did road trips as a family to Wisconsin. But um, what I didn't know was a lot of what was funding that was credit card debt, taking out a um, mortgage, a second mortgage on the house, a gambling issue going on in the background that I wasn't aware of. So all these things you're kind of blinded to as a kid because it's not things you know about. All of that being funded, we eventually wound up uh, losing one of my siblings due to a congenital heart disease. So we had that going on. My parents' divorce was finalized a month before she passed. My biological mother moved. Um, So then it went from both of my parents and five kids in one house to my dad and four kids in a house. And then a couple years later, I want to say, so that happened in sixth grade. So five years later, we were evicted from our house. So we went through all of that. And then all of this debt was kind of just accumulating, piling up in the background, and it was never really resolved. It was a, well, there's not much else I can do. The, um, you know, the bank isn't accepting money for the mortgage anymore, because we were so far behind. So we got evicted, lived with a neighbor for a year, eventually moved into an apartment, um, went through a lot of crappy vehicles, uh, just really whatever could get us from point A to point B somewhat reliably. Growing up also, uh, something that was normal to me then and even to me now, because I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it, it really is when you think about it. Um, there were a lot of times where we would have to take bird baths. For anybody who is familiar, I'm sorry. Um, bird baths is when your gas is cut off and you don't have hot water. So you are taking baths with a rag and a bar of soap in the sink slapped around because nobody wants to jump in a cold shower. That's kind of like your, your last resort. So a cold bird bath is, um, the better way to go about it. And then also we'd have our electricity cut off. So we'd be playing games with our flashlights pointed up at the ceiling, playing board games with you know, our siblings and my dad. And that was just kind of the norm. It happened more often than not. That's a little bit of what we went through. So it looked like we had everything, but realistically, I think we were living like a lot of middle-class Americans at the time. Ryan, we've heard what Riley is talking about her upbringing. You mentioned your upbringing. In fact, you were the one who found Dave Ramsey and brought it to your family. You two met, if I'm correct, in high school, as you started forming this relationship, eventually thinking about getting married How did your beliefs about money intertwine and did it cause stress in your relationship? Because you clearly had very different upbringings. Yeah. So 
Fortunately, uh, we are still together after meeting in high school. Like you said, uh, it was, you know, 2011 when we really started getting to know each other and dating. I had met her uh, in 2009, because I had classes with her older sister, found out she had a cute sister, and then started telling her for the next three years that I was going to date her cute younger sister. Uh, and I did, and I married her. So Aaron, if you're listening, gotcha. Uh, but <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, uh, I knew I wanted to be an engineer at a young age, and my dad introduced me to technology. He He didn't have any degree, any formal training. So on the weekends when my dad would work, I thought this was totally normal, was if he had to go in on a Saturday, he'd bring me with him. And that was definitely not allowed. Uh, um, so I'm not going to give any more details other than that. But he would introduce me to some automotive technology like robots assembling cars and things that are happening that he said, hey, you won't have to be here on a Saturday. You see how those desks are all empty. If you become an engineer, you could be the one that programs this and it all happens while you're gone. You won't have to do what I did. And I thought the robots were super cool and his, I mean, I always looked up to my dad. He was my, he was a superhero to me. So I was like, yeah, that's great advice. I'm just going to do that. I'm good at physics. And I just decided then that it was what I was going to do. Thank goodness that was correct. Uh, so I had to take on about $70,000 of student loans to go to school because my parents made just enough money to not qualify for student aid. My scores were just too low to get any serious scholarships. So I got, you know, two thirds tuition covered because of my scores. I had what I thought was an amazing ACT score of a 30. And at my school, that was great. But at our school, the education system wasn't or the education quality wasn't exactly high. It was, you know, okay, good enough. So I had all these loans, didn't know what it meant, but knew that I made 70 grand a year now when I graduated and had a big boy job. And I needed to figure out what to do with the money because I was almost making as much as my dad did when I was growing up. And I realized I need to do something with this money. The other the other side of this that's important for that question is I had borrowed 50000 of that from my parents because they saw the student loans were predatory interest rates at the time. It was like, 8% interest. And my dad said, that's like a crappy used car loan. I'm not letting you take $50,000. So they actually, we didn't do any vacations, anything fun for the four or five years. So the one year leading up to my college, and then the next four years, because my dad was cash flowing my school while putting nothing towards retirement. And that's sort of the the part that is tough to swallow today, to be honest with you is, I mean, I know the sacrifices they made. And now I was it's why I paid off my student loans in three years because I owed it almost all to my parents. I had a realization they had no retirement accounts and I wasn't going to be the reason that they didn't have any money. So found Dave Ramsey, started preaching it to them, got them on a plan, got my student loans paid off. And luckily in that time, Riley was becoming an adult and her own person. I grew up and became my own person. And fortunately she had student loans too that scared her. So even though our backgrounds were different, we were facing sort of the same struggle of, I have all these loans. I do not want to have this forever. I see it on TV of the millennial generation having all these loans. And I don't want to make that mistake of having it when I'm 50 or whatever. Riley, did his message about Dave Ramsey speak to you too? Like, were you listening, hearing about the stuff about Dave Ramsey and saying, oh, that applies to my situation? I think when he first uh, tried to introduce me to Dave Ramsey, I was still in school. So I was too busy and preoccupied to really care, which is funny. But then once I was in my last semester of school, uh, he reintroduced me to Dave Ramsey, the Total Money Makeover. And I read it and I was like, wow, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like there's a way out and I can pay for my student loans. And I won't have to have this for 10 years because part of my student loans, the majority of them actually were in my dad's name because I couldn't take out enough money in my own name for student loans. I had to do a parent plus for anybody who's familiar, the interest rates with parent plus are horrible. So when I was attacking my loans, that's the first thing I went after was all of the loans that were in my dad's name. Yeah. It resonated with me once I actually took the time to read it. Ryan, a lot of people start with Dave Ramsey and at least in our community, then graduate to the financial independence, retire early movement or the fire movement. Was that a natural 
evolution for you to go from Dave Ramsey to Fire, and how did you hear about Fire? I work in an area where the cost of living is pretty low, and the incomes are relatively high. And I, when I took this job that I took, I didn't realize that was actually the case. So I made friends with my coworkers, and I, I have a pretty outgoing personality. I'm learning I'm a people person, which is weird for an engineer, but I guess that's the case. I, I've been in and out my whole life. I was talking with some coworkers one day, and one coworker had a particularly aggressive type of personality. When I say that, his his sense of humor was crass, like. He would poke fun at you without making it seem like a joke, but he is kidding. So it could definitely rub you the wrong way. And he did uh, initially, but I owe him a lot because he said uh, we had gotten our bonuses and he came up to me and said, hey, did you match your 401k with your bonus? And I said, no. And he goes, what are you scared? And I'm like, what am I scared? And he's like, yeah, what are you scared to max your 401k? He's like, I know where you live. I know how much money you make. I know you can max your 401k why aren't you? And I I was irritated by that comment because I'm like, what am I scared? I'm a 24 year old man. You're not going to tell me I'm scared. You know, I had a little bit of ego action going. I went to two of my coworkers who were better friends and less jerky. And both of them said, I said, are you maxing your 401k? And they both said yes. And I'm like, okay, so clearly I'm the weird one here. And I, I went home and I started Googling, do people actually max their 401k? And I found Mr. Money Mustache's World Domination Summit from Seattle. And he also was like, if you actually give a shit, you'll save 50%. And I was like, I'm getting attacked from all angles. Apparently, <laughs> I'm the problem. And I'm going to learn this. And it just sent me down a rabbit hole that eventually led to the FI community. So Riley, you guys are exceptional. Your stories are exceptional. Your upbringing is exceptional. Your views on money are also exceptional. But what I also want to talk about a touch today is the fact that you really are at that cusp between millennial and Gen Z. And this forms its own little micro generation that is exceptional unto itself, partially because of all the crazy things you guys lived through while you were growing up. So let's talk about zillennials or if you want to call them cuspers or I love the calling you the Snapchat generation. It has been said, or this generation has been described as being raised less by optimistic boomers and more by skeptical Gen Xers who raise you to focus more on practical rather than aspirational. Practical versus aspirational. Sounds like Zillennials get that a little from Gen X. Do you think that's right on? For me, I definitely think I'm more practical. And I do believe that a lot of that has come from Gen X because when you're talking about going off to school, because that was your only option. It was go off to school or go work in a factory, basically. Um, that's at least what I was hearing other parents echo. And as soon as it's so built into your thinking when parents and adults from the Gen X generation are telling you that, that as soon as someone says, I want to be an artist, it's like, well, what are you <laughs> actually going to do? You're not going to make money doing that. And it's like, wow, okay, you're you're going to be a starving artist. And it's like, no, that's, it's not the case, but you're, you get it almost beat into you as you're growing up. You need to be practical. You need to prepare for the future. And it's okay. Well, what can I do that will actually earn me money throughout my life? Something that's going to be sustainable. So I think in that regard, I'm definitely more millennial. Ryan, I don't think you can get more practical than Dave Ramsey, right? I mean, does Dave Ramsey, you think, speak to this zillennial generation, to your peers and cohorts? So, Jordan, I think you're onto something, but I do not think that's the case. So I think he speaks directly to millennials. And I think that most cuspers or Gen Z are a lot less religious based. And hmm. Yeah, Dave Ramsey. I've introduced a lot of people my age, Dave Ramsey, and the immediate pushback is this guy's just a Bible thumper. Like, I don't, I, I can do money and God separate things. And honestly, that is a pretty fair uh, pushback because it, it excludes a lot of people. I mean, there's, there's a lot of reason to have a lot of voices in the fire community. And I think that's a huge gap for him is, is just beating this borrower slave to the lender because the Bible says so thing, rather than just being practical and fully practical and saying, 
whatever, like the math says this rather than Jesus said to or whatever. And I'm not a religious person at all. So that, but I I kind of being an engineer, I just approached it like I'm going to ignore that part. Thank you. And I just kept moving, but it turns a lot of people off. So I think, I think there's a lot of people out there who do a much better job of targeting Gen Z and cuspers. Like there's a few YouTube channels like Caleb Hammer and like uh, Graham Stephan that, that sort of preach the same message, but remove the religion. And I think that's a much sweeter spot for our generation. Riley, it's interesting as Ryan talks about that, I'm reminded of something else that's said about Zillennials. It is that diversity and independence are the traits used most often by the cohort to describe what will set their microgeneration apart. So diversity and independence, is that something you feel this group kind of connects with? I would say so, because a lot, or I feel what a lot of people are looking for in that cusping generation is something that sets them apart from everyone else. So if you're doing exactly what everybody else is doing, how are you different? How are you special? Like what makes you you? And I think that could be a really great motivator for some people and get them asking questions that will make them different. And I think for others, it makes them, um, it could be a detriment to them. And it's like, well, what's the point? I'm not special. And they start hinging themselves on, I need to find this one thing that defines me as a person. And as a person, you are a multitude of different things and personalities. You don't have to just be this flat one surface type of a person. But as far as diversity, I think especially millennials and Gen Xers, definitely baby boomers, I don't think diversity was really ever a conversation. It wasn't something that was talked about. Um, And now growing up, especially now being in the corporate world, that's something that's focused on very heavily. And it's something you're aware of because you hear all of these very crass comments about whether it be race, gender, ethnicity, for absolutely no reason. We're not treating people as people anymore. It's you're this one trait and that's all I see. And this is how I identify that trait, whether it be positive or negative. Zillennials, cuspers, we just see things differently. We're more open to different ideas and ways of life than maybe other generations are. I think that's the part of that, especially the cusper thing. So we just talked about practicality with money, but that this is the sort of like aspirational piece is we want to be special. We want to include everybody. We want to make this world a better place. So I think that is a good, we're very practical with like career decisions and money, but then, yeah, we have this aspirational piece that's I want to include other people. I do want to be independent. I want to be an individual rather than what you see. And that be my entire classification. Ryan, Riley talked about this a little bit at the outset of this conversation, but I want to come back to it. Zillennials and technology. It's been said that they are comfortable with technology and social media, but also acknowledge that it's a love-hate relationship. Talk to me about technology in your generation. Yeah. That's actually a very timely question. So you call us the Snapchat generation. I like that one too. Me and my best friend Tyler had a five-year snap streak. That means that you send a Snapchat every single day for five years straight without a single day in between. So that included the week in Colombia with you, Doc G. That included the two weeks in in Thailand. I mean, it included a a lot of life in five years. We both got married. Uh, So technology in my generation, I think, we grew up with kind of right as like the Motorola Razor became popular. We were in high school, but then smartphones started happening. But I was in college when smartphones got big. So I remember my younger brother having a much like a nice smartphone when I was in school and he had all these apps on it and did all kinds of things on his phone and spent hours on his phone every single day. And I did not understand it because I, I'd never had a smartphone like that. I was in engineering school trying to do my best because I felt like I needed to work very hard because I was spending a ton of money. And then you get into the workplace. Uh, everybody has smartphones. I started to learn how to use a smartphone. And then work starts to have expectations of having certain apps on your phone and be able to get a hold of you at any time. And I, I, I have trouble not paying attention to my phone when it lights up now over just over me getting used to technology. So I'd be at the gym working out mid-workout, really enjoying it. 
and then my phone lights up and it's a work message, I would stop my workout to answer. And it sort of like fragmented my attention, made my workout suck, but I took care of work. So actually recently we each bought a separate phone and phone line so that we could have a separate phone for work and not put any of the work apps on our phones because I cannot physically, I'm way too type A to stop, Mm -hmm. to wait till later. Once I see something pop up, I need to take care of it. So I just leave that phone at home. I leave that phone in the car, whatever. And I can actually like compartmentalize my life a little better. And that sort of thing. I thought it was hilarious. My dad always had a work phone, two physical phones, and now I'm that guy. So anyway, I think that kind of is a good example of where we stand in the technology space. We are talking to Ryan and Riley Hall. They are part of the micro generation called Zillennials, individuals born on the cusp of the millennial and Generation Z demographic cohorts, people also born between the years of 1992 and 1998. And we are discussing how they money. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenues, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. Welcome back. We are talking to Ryan and Riley Hall, who are part of the Zillennial generation. Their outlook on life was shaped by the Great Recession of 2008 and the COVID-19 pandemic. Additionally, this cohort witnessed the digital transition of the 2000s from dial-up internet to high-speed mobile, from corded home phones to cell phones, and from home computers to mobile devices. Riley, tell us about the Cuspers and how they look at money. Are Zillennials good with money? I think it depends on who you talk to. Funny enough, today I was having a conversation. My work just had interns come in for the summer and I started talking to them a little bit about money and they were the first ones to bring it up. So they were both actually debt-free and they're in school. They're both going to be entering their junior year next year. So they're already on a great start, but they both view money very differently and have very I wouldn't say different work ethics, but I would say maybe their expectations of themselves in work. Um, One of them works maybe two jobs during the summer, working up to 80 hours a week. And the other one would just work, you know, maybe standard 40, maybe a little bit less than that. Still work hard, both of them, I'm sure. But one of them was talking about how she's not good about saving her money. And the other one's like, I have never spent my money. And that's my problem. So I think it really depends on how their parents grew up or maybe the teachings that their parents had, because 
it's it's just such a interesting dynamic. Either they can be very strict and stringent with their money, or they can, you know, fall victim to maybe some of the social media advertising and some of that um, shopping therapy. Ryan, let's talk about social media. I mean, Instagram, Snapchat, all of this really came to fruition as your generation was growing up. We are all involved in this financial independence movement. We are somewhat conservative when it comes to money. We like to save more and spend less. And yet your generation really grew up with FOMO and YOLO. Those were words that we didn't really use until maybe the last 10 years How do you think social media has affected your generation's feelings about money? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it has warped a lot of people's money habits because there's this sort of like, like you said, YOLO, there's a sort of like invisible pressure to put off this image that you're finally making it, that you went to school, you got that job. Now, where is the visibility to why you did that. Plenty of people go straight out of high school, get a decent job at the post office or UPS, make plenty of money and look like they have more because they're flexing their BMW payments or whatever. I I do think that Facebook particularly is funny because Zoomers don't or Gen Z doesn't understand Facebook that we all use it. So I'm more millennial in that space that when somebody said, I don't have a Facebook, what do you mean no one uses that? I thought I was like personally offended. <laughs> I, I've, I've recently gotten rid of all social media. And uh, because again, similar thing, type A, lots of distraction. And I want to be able to focus on things that are important. So I, I think a lot of people, at least in our cohort, are starting to trim the social media and start to get rid of Snapchat, get rid of Instagram, get rid of Facebook, because we are getting to adult age where we realize that there is no one's really watching what we're doing. No one cares what people from the Midwest that have decent jobs have driving in traffic. No one's looking. No one cares. Your your aunt might think it's cool that you drive a BMW and congratulations if that's the case and if you really wanted it. But I, I do think that there's sort of a uh, pressure to explain why you're not spending your money uh, among cuspers and millennials too rather than a no one talks about money situation. I would say for Cuspers and Gen Z in particular with the creation and use of TikTok, I think money has become a very interesting topic of conversation and it has become very saturated with terrible advice. There's a lot of day training TikToks, get rich quick schemes. Um, I thought that a lot of the um, Ponzi schemes or MLMs had kind of died off, but it seems like there's almost a resurgence of them again, because everybody wants to just get rich quick. Nobody wants to work the standard nine to five or, you know, do a very physical job to earn their money. They just want to have it. It doesn't matter how they get there. It seems it's like, well, whatever gets me there fastest. And they don't necessarily understand Um, what it means to invest. To them, investments are putting money in the stock market, single stock, and day trading. It shows my generation, Generation X, that when I started talking about social media, I mentioned Instagram and Snapchat and didn't even mention TikTok, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) Riley, let's look at the other side of that. We talked about some of the problems with social media, but the other thing that's really happened, I believe, during your generation is fintech. Right. Things like Robinhood and even Vanguard and Mint and all of these different apps you can use. How do you think your generation has been affected by fintech? Has it generally been positive or negative? It's generally positive. People are using those types of apps in a way to improve their financial situations or make them feel better about their financial situations. Uh, whether or not they stick with it, something like Mint, where you're tracking where all your spending is going. Um, I find that our generation can be very streaky at times where it's like, okay, I'm dedicated to this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to plan out my budget. I'm not going to spend an X category and I'm going to save this much. And then after a month, once the initial serotonin or dopamine wears off, it's back to normal habits. And then with other people, I think something like Acorns, for instance, it makes you feel good. Like, oh, I'm saving this extra 32 cents from this 
um, bill that I had paid or, you know, whatever. So it's like, okay, well, I have money that I'm saving, but then you take a step back and you look at how much you've saved over the past month. And it's like, you could be saving a lot more if you trimmed fat. So it's that false sense of, oh, well, I have savings. And it's like, you have $72 in your Acorns account and you have a negative balance on your credit card. Ryan, we've talked a little bit about the fact that the Zillennials have seen lots of things in the last 20 years and and dealt with some trauma like the pandemic and the 2008 recession. One thing that we've seen from the Great Resignation is a move towards things like digital entrepreneurship. I think people associate that somewhat with the Generation Zers, but do you also think that that applies to your cohort too, the Zillennials, this idea that I can go out and do it on my own, maybe I can start my own business, the internet is a big, vast place, and we should be taking advantage of it? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think Gen Z, that resonates more with, and I think it has to do with the 2008-2009 financial crisis. So, being a cusper, you were old enough to see what was happening in 2008, 2009, but you weren't old enough to be working at the time. So there's sort of uh, more scarcity, at least in myself. I don't want to speak for everybody. Everybody's experience was different. But in myself, there's definitely a, a an underlying scarcity piece at play that would say, don't take that risk and start that business. No one on the internet's going to care. Whereas I think Gen Z growing up with, like Riley said, TikTok, and I mean, they know people in real life who are making real money, just making short videos about whatever they know about. So they, they're they a little bit more open to that idea of I, I could do this and I'm gonna and I will figure it out. And the idea of layoffs and market segments disappearing and financial crisis, not being able to get a loan for a car or something that simple or your credit limit dropping significantly overnight, those sorts of things, literally, I do not think processes as a possibility for a lot of people in that Gen Z. So it sort of removes internal barriers. I, from my perspective, that's not recognizing risk, but that is probably because I'm a little bit warped from seeing that uh, sort of, yeah, financial crisis. Riley, are Zillennials career oriented? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking from my generation, Gen Xers, we are very good employees, right? We wanted to grind it out walk up that corporate ladder. We expected to work 50, 60 hour work weeks. How do you think it is for the Zillennials? A lot of us aren't identifying ourselves as our career, but then again, we are still feeling that pressure of go to school. You need to know what you're doing and what you're going to study and what you want to do for the rest of your life as soon as you start going to school. So you have that underlying anxiety of well, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I'm 18. Like, what am I supposed to do? So you kind of get shoehorned, um, maybe by yourself or by pressure from, you know, your elders of, okay, well, I'm going to study this because I know it's good. And it's not necessarily what they want to do or something that they are going to be able to sustain. So I think if, Millennials find something that they're passionate about, whether it be through having gone to school or join the trades or being able to make it as a digital entrepreneur. I think they do make really good employees. They just know how to set that balance and that limit of this is work. Work is not going to bleed into my home life. I want to have a personal life. So they know when to quit and they give their employer exactly what they said that they would give them and nothing more. Ryan, Zillennials are really reaching their upper 20s, right around 30. This is the prime of your career. This is like when people start making more money, they start moving up the corporate ladder if they're in corporate America. It's really one of those prime moments in your work and money-making life. I want to talk about two things going on right now and how you think they're going to impact you as a Zillennial. The first one is AI. How do you think AI is going to impact the careers of your peers? I think AI is going to sort of serve as a mechanism that's going to remove the bottom rungs of uh, employment and job opportunities. And I don't mean that in a in a flagrant um, meaning. I just mean that it's sort of 
entry-level jobs and low-skill jobs that are sort of like, look this up for me or put this on my calendar for me, or can you dig through and find that email? Like sort of like secretarial or administrative or even entry-level like data analysis and data entry jobs. I think we will see those get significantly downsized with the use of AI. I think more technical and more skilled jobs will sort of use AI as leverage to get more done with less people. Uh, I, I I think it's similar to you seeing like McDonald's having automated things to put together burgers or and, and typically driven from minimum wage increases or whatever. I, I think it's a similar mechanism. Riley, the other thing going on right now as millennials are really hitting their prime is this idea that the equity markets are going to be crap for the next 10 years, right? There's a lot of people saying, boy, equity returns just aren't going to be very good. Are the Zillennials a little screwed here? I mean, this is when they're just coming into money. Are we looking at like years of party time in the stock market that's now going to end for the next decade? I personally don't feel a doom and gloom when it comes to the market. I'm sure, sure, there's going to be a stint of not great returns. But I mean, look at the past 10 years. We knew this was coming. And of course, for Zillennials and Gen Z, it can feel a little bit like a slap in the face. It's like, okay, cool. As soon as I enter the, the workforce, now things start getting crappy. And it's, you know, it's a give and take. It's not always going to be up and up and up, and it's not always going to be stagnant or on a downturn. So I don't, like I said, I don't feel a doom and gloom. I'm sure some people hear the parrotings in the news of this is the worst of stocks I've ever been <laughs> since whenever. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I chose that accent, but there you go. Um, but it's just a lot of scare tactics, I think, is what's kind of driving some feelings towards how the market is in general. I don't know that it's necessarily a, I've done some research, looked into this because these are the situations that I'm going to come up into in the next five years. It's just kind of a echo chamber of everybody else's feelings on what's going on in the market, not necessarily Gen Z or Zillennials. I would like to understand, Doc G, why you pitched that as a bad thing if the market would be flat for five years while we're making a lot of money, because that would just be a powder keg of of possible future returns and wealth. I mean, I'm hoping it stays flat for five years while we're hitting our prime for earning because I'm going to have a hell of a lot more money. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, the truth is, right, the millennials and Gen Xers who are looking towards retirement uh, may actually see this as more of a problem. That that actually is, right. is a, a very good point. Which brings me kind of to the last question of the conversation, Ryan. What do you think the future is going to be for Zillennials? Are you optimistic? I'm very optimistic, at least in my experience. The the pandemic's been really a blessing, and that sounds horrible to say now, but I, I'd like to explain. So it there was a lot of boomers and and older Gen Xers in in the company I work in, and I think across the industries that were sticking around working, that had pensions that were sort of like grandfathered in, that were working just until they get screwed with enough to where they'd leave. And many of them saw their sort of uh, one step up cohort get laid off with payouts in 2008, 2009 and markets go in cycles. So they were sort of just sitting ducks waiting for that possible payout and we're just gonna ride off into the sunset in their Corvette to Florida. But I think that that the pandemic, the the health risks of having to be on site and sort of the realization that, wow, life shut down for a while. I don't know why I'm still working when I don't need to. There has been a mass exodus of people who were in the you know upper 40s and onwards uh, in retirement, which has left, left really big gaps for opportunities for people in our cohort where we aren't brand new, don't know a lot. We have, you know, eight to 10 years of experience, but we wouldn't normally in, in traditionally be open or, or considered for these roles. But since there's nobody better, it, it's just sort of, we'll, we'll get you up to speed, you know, we'll, we'll get you there. And that's sort of another blessing and something I'm very thankful for because I've been getting, I'm more on the millennial side of work ethic. I really enjoy working hard. I, I love working. It's something that is, it feels very good to me. And 
I can do that, get recognized, see opportunity, get recognized for seeing that and going after things. And there's big openings. So it's sort of my career is progressing significantly faster than I expected it to. Riley and I had a conversation the other night that we're each making, you know, more than $10,000 a year, more than we thought we would be by now. And if you think about the numbers and, and how little we spend, that's straight to our net worth. So it's been a really, really exciting time, I think, um, at least from my perspective. Riley, looking back decades from now, what do you think the Zillennials will be known for? I think that they will be known for setting limits. They are very passionate. They love the things that they love and they want to spend their time doing that. And so with work, if they are fortunate enough and their company is fortunate enough to have them and they're passionate about their work, that's going to pay dividends for both the company and for them. But if they're, you know, just okay, they're, you know, satisfied with their job and they have passions outside of work, that's going to give them a much fuller life. And I think that's what they're going to be known for is really taking a look at what things do I want in life and trying to go after them because they didn't have the, you know, you have to be practical. You have to go by the book. You have to do it in this order of go to school, graduate, get a job, get married, have kids, die. It's go to school, get a job, travel the world, come back, you know, make money to live and hopefully save. I'm hoping that Gen Z and Zillennials are saving towards retirement and be able to retire early. I, you know, the two people I referred to earlier today, the interns, they're Gen Z and I'm trying to introduce them slowly to FI so it's not overwhelming because I know they're still students and they still have two years before they even graduate and see a salary. But just getting that in their mind, I'm hoping that the Gen Z and Zillennials that are starting to see these messages start digesting it and thinking about it and start trying to apply it to their own lives so that they have a, a better future. Well, Ryan and Riley, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. When we talk about the Zillennials, we often compare them to millennials versus Gen Zers because they are right there in the middle on the fringe. But actually, when I start thinking about it, I start thinking that probably a lot of who the Zillennials are today actually has more to do with their parents, the boomers and the Gen Xers, and how they've influenced them. So when we're talking about these things like practicality versus aspirationality, right? When we're talking about technology versus non-technology, independence versus codependence, I think this spans all sorts of different generations and probably speaks more to the modeling that we receive as kids than necessarily where we fall in that generational timeline. On the other hand, I think Zillennials are incredibly diverse and knowledgeable about diversity, as well as Riley, what you were saying, this idea that they're probably more likely to go after what they want. And part of the reason is that Zillennials came of age with just such huge and gigantic change with economic tail and headwinds with the pandemic. All of this happening at once really gave them a sense of going after what they wanted because there were so many things going on that they probably couldn't change or affect. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you specifically what is coming up next in your life, Riley. And then Ryan will go to you if people want to get in touch with you. Is there a way to do that? So first and foremost, Riley, what is coming up next in your life? Oh, geez. Well, at the end of this month, uh, we have our first road trip with our dogs. We recently adopted a senior chihuahua. He's 10. He's the cutest. Um, but we're going to take a road trip to go see one of our fellow Chautauquans in Ohio. And then from there, we're going to continue our road trip down to North Carolina to go see some family of mine. And Ryan, if people want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to do that if they have questions? First, if you have a reason to reach out to us, I'd ask you to look in the mirror and think about what, why. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. If, if if there's any reason to try to get a hold of us, I guess if it's possible, if you could reach out through Doc G, he could get you in contact with us, get us, get you our cell phone numbers, and we'd be happy to text, call, chat, whatever. The world's a small place and we're a lot less interesting than you think we are. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, part of the reason I wanted to have you on is because I was so impressed with you when I first met you 
while we're at Chautauqua, which is a conference that last year was in Columbia. Basically, I got to spend time with you and learn about who you are. And it really got me interested in your age group, which made me think a lot about the Zillennials in general. Riley and Ryan Hall, thank you for coming on Earn and Invest. No problem, Doc G. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Let me be honest here. My kids drive me crazy. In fact, you've probably heard me say before that this generation has it all wrong. I mean, they spend more time in their beds than doing anything else. Their face is always buried in their phones. And it seems like no one bothers to memorize anything anymore. I loved memorizing. In fact, that's how I got through medical school is I memorized everything. But kids nowadays figure if you can look it up, there's no reason to know it by rote. The kids of this generation have it all wrong. They're doing everything wrong just the way my generation was doing everything wrong according to my parents. And just like my parents' generation was doing everything wrong according to the generations that came before them, my grandparents looking at my parents thought they had it all wrong. They're wasting all their time listening to radio and, God forbid, watching TV. I can't tell you how many times I would give anything to have my kids put their phones away and sit and watch a movie with us. Remember TV, the thing that was supposed to be rotting our brains? Now I wish I could get my kids to do it. This is nothing new. Innovation scares us. Newspapers were thought to be scary. They thought that newspapers were going to rot the young kids' brains because they weren't out there doing things. Same with radio, same with TV, now it's the internet. The truth of the matter is, as we had this conversation with Zillennials, Ryan and Riley Hall, I started thinking about the idea that actually the next generations generally get it right. They generally improve. Young people are smarter, more agile, and have more information to go with than us older generations. Our brains have become slow. We've become set in our ways. Yes, we are full of experience. But sometimes I think that experience slows us down instead of speeds us forward. There is nothing wrong with the younger generations. I may not agree with how they do things. I certainly don't agree with this whole thing of sitting in your bed all day. It exhausts me to watch my children look at their phones and have to try to get their attention when they seem lost on the internet. On the other hand, they will build and expand and grow and have much different opinions than I have, and most likely there'll be improvements. I mean, I talk about the evolution of the financial independence movement all the time. If we're talking about micro-generations here, right, we're only talking about three or four years, but look at what's changed in the financial independence retire early. The first people to do it were these people who hated their jobs. They grinded it out. They retired at 30 or 40 because they hated the workplace and wanted to do nothing afterwards. We've had a beautiful move and evolution towards lifestyle design. Then it was passive income and side hustles. And finally, the final generation of the FIRE movement is financial independence in which we design the lifestyle we want now. Maybe we work part-time. Maybe we work digitally. Things have changed and they have evolved. And I believe they have evolved for the better. And it's the same with the larger generations, whether we're talking about the baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, or Gen Z. With every iteration, with every new generation, we evolve, we learn from our mistakes, and we improve. I don't know what the money lives of this next generation is going to look like. I don't know what happens when Gen Z moves into whatever we call the next generation. But most likely, they will look at our financial lives, the way we dealt with money, earning, and investing, and they will do it differently. 
At first, we might think that they're wrong or they have the wrong idea or they're lazy or whatever the older generations call the younger generations. But in the end, their iterations will hopefully make their lives better. And maybe, maybe if us old fogies can take a look and see what they're doing, we might be able to make our lives better too. As you guys know, I keep things running just for a few minutes to catch our after show. Um, yeah, I, I, I think being on the cusp of two different generations gives you such a really unique look at things. And I think you do end up having bits of each generation. And then, like I said, I think also because you're on the cusp, your parents were probably also on the cusp. So you get all these different things affecting your beliefs. Um an interesting time to grow up. You guys really did. Like, I feel like I grew up in the 70s and 80s and it was fairly boring, right? I don't feel like we had such big traumatic things happen. Yeah, and it's funny because at least for me, I feel like what we grew up with was normal. I mean, obviously, 9-11, the economic downturn, not normal events, but it's just it's just what happened. And also, with your closing statements, to go back to that, when you were talking about how we are really like the generation before us, or maybe two generations before us, at least in some regard, it reminded me of something I've heard of recently, a term called generational trauma. And yeah. I wonder if that's part of the reason why we yeah. have some of those traits. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, a lot of millennials feel like economically they were screwed, right? Because a lot of them yeah. really came of age during the 2008 recession. And I think a lot of Gen Zers are kind of like, screw it. I'm, you know, like... I'm I'm going to focus on what's important to me and maybe I'm not maybe I'm going to take a different path maybe I'm going to be a TikToker maybe I'm going to do that and I I I love it cuz I think you guys are right there in between so you get a little bit of both of those sensibilities but again I think you also have some of the Gen X sensibilities like when it comes to work and and grinding it out doing the really hard work um but then I think you also do have a little bit of the baby boomer stuff too so it it just it makes an interesting mix yeah, I'm very thankful to have grown up when we did. And and outside of the generational thing, both of us growing up in like, I'll say middle class or lower middle class. I mean, you said that we come from very different backgrounds, but it, it feels very similar. Our ideas of bougie are very, very, <laughs> very different than most people that are listening to this probably. I mean, so anyway, our idea of, of fun is a lot less expensive. And that's, that's sort of like scarcity just growing up with not knowing. It allowed like Christy and Bryce's book, quit like a millionaire to resonate with us a lot we read that book it's that was seriously the we're doing this i read the book in like two days and i rented it from the library i returned it ordered it on amazon gave it to riley said you got to read this she read it and she's like we're doing this and it's been literally if you look at our um empower which is personal capital now or it's the new name and if you look at January of 2020, when we read the book, very good timing to get travel credit cards, Christy. Thanks for that horrible advice at that time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if you look at our net worth from that date, it inflects up significantly. And it has been a rocket ship since even though the market's been down. So I, I'm, I don't know. I'm very thankful that we both have the parents that we have. It, we did a lot of talking about how, you know, there was some challenges and we didn't have a lot growing up. There wasn't a lot of privilege there, but that's sort of our superpower. We didn't have a lot. We got encouraged to go after something that could make a lot of money. And now we just make all that money and we don't spend any of it. So it's, it's awesome. Well, we also didn't have social media influencing our mm -hmm. spending habits either. So I think that was something that really worked in our favor. We got to see technology evolve, but not feel such significant impacts on it so early on, like a lot of the Gen Z is. It's hard. You know, I, I, I haven't gone in depth about specifically where you grew up, but I think some of... Like when you talk about what you see as bougie or not, I think some of that's geographical. It's just where yeah. in the country you grew up surrounded by what you grew up surrounded by. Um, we learned that in, in Columbia at Chautauqua when we realized that a $200,000 house was a shack other places in the Midwest that yeah. is not. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah. that having a Tesla isn't really a status symbol some places anymore. And we're like, are you serious? I know one person with one. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's interesting because... Again, 
I met you in Colombia, right? And you went to Thailand. So it's not like like you guys are very sophisticated people. Um, I know they both, <laughs> you can't see this, but on the video, <laughs> their face is both kind of like their eyes lit up. <laughs> but I mean, that's fairly sophisticated. Yeah, um, and we flew out of the same airport as you. We didn't know, have any idea. So we met yeah. you in Colombia. We were driving distance the whole time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the other thing is, is how geographically different. Like, so I grew up in a very like close to Chicago in the suburbs in a fairly affluent area. Um, so lots of Teslas around here, lots of international travel, lots of that stuff. It's just, so it's also trying interesting adding that to when you were born, who you were born to, what specific, you know, modeling you had growing up, but then also geographically where you grew up too. Um, yeah. I mean, that it, it all adds little bits of flavor into how you end up being as an adult. And um, I think in your cases, it's done really exceptional things. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. 